Hello, everyone. My name is Matthew McDonald, and you are listening to the second episode of Poetry in an Emergency, a podcast about poetry and art and the vital role they play in our lives. Have you ever thought about what makes a work of art more or less compelling? As a cinematographer, I'm always thinking of how I can craft the most compelling images. Images that evoke genuine feeling and draw viewers in. One cardinal rule of cinematography is that generally people should not notice it. This is much harder than it may sound. It takes an immense amount of deep thought and reflection to craft any work of art that commands attention, not for itself, but for the feelings it symbolizes. Which, as I discussed in episode one, is what Suzanne K. Langer says is the principal function of art. Indeed, the very definition of art, a creation that intends to symbolize a feeling. In Poetic Craft and Principle, Robert Graves tells us, an important rule of craftsmanship in English verse is that a poet should never tell his readers how romantic, pathetic, awe-inspiring, tragic, mystic, or wondrous a scene has been. He must describe the details himself in such powerful but restrained language, nouns and verbs always outnumbering the adjectives, that it will be the reader who catches his breath, looks up from the page, and says, How romantic! How pathetic! How awe-inspiring! How... whatever. In other words, while poetry may be, as W. H. Auden suggests, the clear expression of mixed feelings, poems should never tell us how to feel. Poets, and I would say all artists, should aim to show us feeling, not tell us how to feel. The poem Heirloom by Canadian poet A. M. Klein is a masterful example of this. This poem evokes the bond between him and his late father in a particularly restrained, faintly proud way, until the very last line, which hit me in the gut and almost made me cry when I first read it, not because it told me how to feel, but because it reveals in such a subtle, poignant way the depth of his love for his father, or at least how deeply he feels his father's absence, that I felt it too. This is Heirloom by A.M. Klein. My father bequeathed to me no wide estates. No keys and ledgers were my heritage. Only some holy books with Yarzit dates writ mournfully upon a blank front page. Books of the Baal Shem Tov and of his wonders. Pamphlets upon the devil and his crew. Prayers against road demons, witches, thunders and sundry other tomes for a good Jew. Beautiful, though no pictures on them, save the scorpion crawling on a printed track, the virgin floating on a scriptural wave, square letters twinkling in the zodiac. The snuff left on this page, now brown and old. The tallow stains of midnight liturgy. These are my coat of arms, and these unfold my noble lineage, my proud ancestry. And my tears, too, have stained this heirloomed ground, when reading in these treaties some weird miracle, I turned a leaf and found a white hair fallen from my father's beard. Notice how the poem begins with a rather dry, matter-of-fact catalogue of what his father did not leave him and what he did leave him, and it implies at first that this isn't much. 
Then it proceeds to describe the content of the various books and pamphlets his father left him, again in a somewhat detached or even dismissive way. It's not until the third stanza that he deigns to qualify any of these books as anything other than holy books. In the third stanza, he finally admits that they are beautiful, although he immediately apologizes for that by admitting that they have no pictures on them. Except then, of course, they do. By the fourth stanza, Klein begins to contemplate the physical signs of use on these books. The snuff left on a particular page. This page, he says. The tallow stains of midnight liturgy. Here, he starts to take ownership of these. And you can feel how precious they are becoming to him. No longer only some holy books. Finally, in the final stanza, we feel how a white hair, fallen from his father's beard and found on a forgotten page, makes his tears fall. We are not simply told that his tears fell. We are made to feel it. I'd like to return to W.H. Auden here and conclude with what I think is one of his most devastatingly poignant poems, with a twist, almost shocking ending. It is presented as a story about one Miss Edith Gee, a sympathetic character of whom we may all have a trace inside us. In this poem, we find the themes of loneliness, our place in the world, and the incessant march of time, among others, themes that Auden returns to in many of his poems. This is Miss Gee by W.H. Auden. Let me tell you a little story about Miss Edith Gee. She lived in Clevedon Terrace at number 83. She had a slight squint in her left eye. Her lips, they were thin and small. She had narrow sloping shoulders, and she had no bust at all. She had a velvet hat with trimmings and a dark grey serge costume. She lived in Clevedon Terrace, in a small bed-sitting room. She had a purple mac for wet days, a green umbrella too to take. She had a bicycle with shopping basket and a harsh back-pedal brake. The Church of St. Aloysius was not so very far. She did a lot of knitting, knitting for that church bazaar. Miss Gee looked up at the starlight and said, Does anyone care that I live in Clevedon Terrace on 100 pounds a year? She dreamed a dream one evening that she was the Queen of France, and the Vicar of St. Aloysius asked Her Majesty to dance. But a storm blew down the palace. She was biking through a field of corn, and a bull with the face of the vicar was charging with lowered horn. She could feel his hot breath behind her. He was going to overtake, and the bicycle went slower and slower because of that back pedal brake. Summer made the trees a picture. Winter made them a wreck. She bicycled to the evening service with her clothes buttoned up to her neck. She passed by the loving couples. She turned her head away. She passed by the loving couples, and they didn't ask her to stay. Miss Gee sat down in the side aisle. She heard the organ play, and the choir it sang so sweetly at the ending of the day. Miss Gee knelt down in the side aisle. She knelt down on her knees. Lend me not into temptation, but make me a good girl, please. The days and night went by her, like waves round a Cornish wreck. She bicycled down to the doctor, with her clothes buttoned up to her neck. She bicycled down to the doctor and rang the surgery bell. 
Oh, doctor, I've a pain inside me, and I don't feel very well. Dr. Thomas looked her over, and then he looked some more, walked over to his wash basin, said, Why didn't you come before? Dr. Thomas sat over his dinner, though his wife was waiting to ring, rolling his bread into pellets, said, Cancer's a funny thing. Nobody knows what the cause is, though some pretend they do. It's like some hidden assassin waiting to strike at you. Childless women get it, and men when they retire. It's as if there had to be some outlet for their foiled creative fire. His wife, she rang for the servant, said, Don't be so morbid, dear. He said, I saw Miss Gee this evening, and she's a goner, I fear. They took Miss Gee to the hospital. She lay there a total wreck, lay in the ward for women, with the bedclothes right up to her neck. They laid her on the table. The students began to laugh, and Mr. Rose, the surgeon, he cut Miss Gee in half. Mr. Rose, he turned to his students, said, Gentlemen, if you please, we seldom see a sarcoma as far advanced as this. They took her off the table. They wheeled away Miss Gee, down to another department, where they study anatomy. They hung her from the ceiling. Yes, they hung up Miss Gee and a couple of Oxford groupers carefully dissected her knee. In The Poet and the City, Auden writes, The characteristic style of modern poetry is an intimate tone of voice, the speech of one person addressing one person, not a large audience. Whenever a modern poet raises his voice, he sounds phony, and its characteristic hero is neither the great man nor the romantic rebel, both doers of extraordinary deeds. But the man or woman in any walk of life, who despite all the impersonal pressures of modern society, manages to acquire and preserve a face of his own. In Miss Gee, I think Auden has accomplished that to devastating effect. These are trying times we are going through. I only hope that through these podcasts I can bring some light into your life through different thought-provoking poems and ideas about the vital role that art plays in all of our lives. Thank you for listening.